Today, we discuss the irrational relationship of the church to the world and the world to the church. The world is not your friend, dear Christian. Stop acting like it is. Plus, I need your vote. But what for? It might surprise you. It's almost, happy, ha it's almost Halloween. Happy Halloween, everybody. Or happy free candy in people's trunks day if you're a homeschooler. This is The Deep End. Okay. Homeschoolers, I love you. I like to tease you. I like to tease you because... Well, you can take it, right? You're strong in the Lord. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to The Deep End. My name is Tim Hatch. I am the host of The Deep End program. Where we dive deep into culture and the Bible and you. Uh, welcome to Thursday night uh, audience in Rhode Island, FM 99.5. Our Spotify audience, our Twitch audience, our Florida radio audience. We got a good church coming in Florida in Tampa Bay. Waters Church coming down on Route 41 North, 5309 U.S. North Highway uh, in Apollo Beach, Florida. Took me like all week to memorize that address. So that's where we're coming very soon to the Tampa Bay area. We are excited. I hope you are too. Hey, do me a favor, all of you guys on the deep end. This is so important. Subscribe. But first, hit that like button right below this video on the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, please, the Deep End uh, YouTube channel, and then hit that notification bell. That lets you know when we are live and tells you about our content coming up. Uh, the Deep End is uh, live every Tuesday nights on YouTube and other places. Let's take a look at where those places are. Uh, Periscope at the Deep End TV, tw uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, and Twitch, like I already mentioned. Plus, you can follow us on Twitter, at Deep End, so there's no the there on the Twitter channel, just Deep End TV. Uh, next week, I have a very special episode of the Deep End. We're going to take a break from the life of David next week. I know, I know, it's been so good, I love the study, but we're going to take a break because I don't know if you know, but there's something big happening uh, a week from today, uh, the election of the ages, and I want to, I want to, oh, let me show off something new to the Deep End Studio. It's called the God Voice, and uh, it's just a new part of our technology here. So I want to say the election of the ages with the God Voice on. Are you ready? The election of the ages. <laughs> okay. We like to have fun on the Deep End show. Um, but anyway, the election happens next week, and we're going to be live with you right here. I'm so excited. Check this out. The Deep End Election Night Special, November 3rd, 7 to 9, on The Deep End. Yeah, so that's so that's happening next Tuesday night, 7 to 9. I'm going to be live the whole time, talking with you, taking your questions. We're going to have a live chat. Hopefully, we want to work it out. I haven't told Michael, my producer right behind this camera yet, but we're working out that we have your live chat right here on the screen from the YouTube channel. It is so, so it's very important that you subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, the Deep End YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Deep End TV. Subscribe and then, and then comment there next week ask questions, whatever. We know it's a very contentious election season um, and people are all stressed out about it. I want to be here to answer your questions and help you get through that. As a Christian, what's our response to the world, to the civil government, and how should a Christian vote? Maybe that's your question. Yeah, of course, by that time, it'll be too late for me to tell you who to vote for, but we can talk about voting and civil government and this relationship to the church and the kingdom of God. It's very important. The Bible maps this out for us, and we're going to show you next week a little bit on that, um, about how the church responds to the civil government uh, under which it resides. Lots to tell you, lots to discuss, 
and plus, I want your questions, want your comments, want to, re want to respond to you live right on the video uh, screen with you guys. So that's next week, seven to nine. But I need your vote for something else. Okay, and a little just just to lighten the voting season spirit up a little bit. Everybody's tense right now. Everybody's like really stressed about the election, the big national election. I've got a bigger vote that I need you to cast. Uh, this is going to bring me to a Halloween special segment of the Deep End tonight. Check this out. The Deep End Pumpkin Contest. All right, <laughs> this is what I need you to do. Behind me, there are two pumpkins. If you can see to the far left of the screen, that pumpkin to the top left is made by my son, Jake. That's Jake's pumpkin. And then over here with a little anchor, that's Cheryl's pumpkin. Okay, they carved these yesterday. want you to give them a shout out. They did a great job together. Mom and dad, mom and son project. Um, vote for your favorite. So which one? Come on, let me know in the comments. Let's have some fun. Which pumpkin is better? Jake's or Cheryl's? Jake's or Cheryl's? In a hectic and chaotic and intense election, election season, let's have a little fun election. Okay, now, back to another segment we're bringing back. We haven't had this yet on season four of The Deep End. It's question and answers, and I want to answer a couple of viewer questions. Let's go. Hit it. That's what I'm talking about. Questions have come in to The Deep End, and I always ask you to send them in. Um... I don't have the number on me, but we'll put it down in the comments below. So make sure you send your questions anonymously through the, the text number, or you can send them through uh, the uh, email, info at thedeepend.tv, if I'm not mistaken. So viewer questions. Question came in uh, recently. Here's what the question was. I read an article that says the word hell is never actually used in the original Bible text, and that the modern use of hell is a mistranslation of death, or grave or dump. If this is true, what is hell? What does it mean for someone who dies without knowing God through Jesus Christ? Okay, so I checked out this article and it's at a church. It's called Brazen Church. And the the name of the church or the um, the, the description of the church, which is kind of eye-opening to me, is is a phrase that you kind of want to be avoiding. So he, this our, a questioner asked about an article on that church's website, Brazen Church. They describe themselves as progressive Christian. Whenever I see progressive and Christian together, I red, red flags go up. Because what I have found, oh, and also there's a word called emergent in their description. And what I have found is that the, oftentimes the, um, the church that wants to be progressive and emergent wants to be also kind of unorthodox. Now, what saves their dis description is Eastern Orthodox. So you can check them out. I don't really care if you do, but nonetheless, I read the article. And the article was pretty much correct about the Greek term for hell. But the article, I think, comes across too much as trying to eliminate the idea of uh, the judgment of God after this life. There, there's, a, there's a judgment to come. And let me sum up what I believe that church uh, embraces in terms of theology. It's called conditional, um, uh, conditional judgment. Conditional judgment, which means that your eternal judgment will not be everlasting conscious torment. It will be conditioned on how evil you were or on how much you rejected or hated God and his people. So Hitler's going to get like a thousand years of judgment and torture. I don't know. And someone who's a good guy, but he's an American, he doesn't want anything to do with Christ. Um, he doesn't spend a thousand years getting 
you know, tortured, whatever. Um, I embrace the idea that that could very well be biblically accurate, but I am not going to tell you that is definite because I've heard arguments for con uh, continual eternal conscious torment, which is life without God, basically. Hell is life without God. And whether it's eternal or whether that's temporal or conditional based on how evil someone was on this earth, you don't want to embrace it. You don't want to be, you don't want to experience it. There is a hell, there is a judgment. Romans 9, 27, it is appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. So every person on the face of the earth is going to be judged for their sins. We don't want to mess around with this. We don't want to pretend like this is not a big deal. I, I think that the church tries to sometimes, there's, there's this trend in modern church movements to be nice, nice with the world, to play nice, to say, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna try to take down some of those archaic foundational beliefs from previous generations, and we're gonna kind of reinvent them according to what feels more culturally adaptable. I don't like that. I, I think that there's gonna be a judgment so horrible, we need to be aware of it, we need to avoid it, we need to run from it, and we need to run to God that is, and to the safety that is ours in Jesus Christ. He is our our ark of safety, if you will, from the judgment of God that is to come. And Paul mentions this too. There is a wrath that is to come. So the article talks about hell being here on earth when we see a child starving or being abused or a spouse being abused. And that's true. That's a foretaste of hell. But remember, this is not hell. This is an age of grace. And there is an age of judgment to come. It's very clear in scripture. There's an age of judgment for the righteous who put their faith in Christ, eternal rewards, bliss in the presence of God. For those who reject Christ and do their own thing and say, I don't need a savior, eternal torment, eternal ju judgment from God, wrath that will be poured out on them for rejecting the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, for the forgiveness of their sins. So it's nothing that you want to be messing around with. And and I always you know, kind of get a little skeptical of churches that go in that direction of let's see if we can temp tamper down judgment in hell because it's not popular. I don't like that. All right. Uh, second question came in. Let's put this up on the screen. Here we go. Pastor, I have a question that is political. Oh, goody, 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 goody. I like political questions. I generally vote Republican, but I have been following Dr. Shiva regarding Vax mandate. He is not a Christian, but I think he's more about health and politics. Just looking for your opinion unless you are uncomfortable sharing it. I am never uncomfortable sharing an opinion. <laughs> uh, okay, so let me uh, just tell you that this guy is a write-in uh, candidate for Senate in Massachusetts. Uh, just letting you know Relax, because he has absolutely no shot of winning. <laughs> He's a write-in candidate. Write-in candidates never win. Let me make a bigger point based on this question. There's a lot of Christians that like to do this thing where they write in Jesus. Like, I don't feel comfortable for either candidate, so I'm going to write in Jesus. Okay, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Jesus has no shot at being elected president of the United States. You say, Pastor, that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of mean. Don't worry, God told me. So relax about this. Uh, Dr. Shiva, evidently, he wants to run against the vax mandate, and I get it because he's more of a, of a, of a free freedom candidate, uh, Republican, if you will, uh, libertarian kind of candidate. Um, so I would say don't worry about that, but I would say to everyone, listen to me, you better vote, you should vote, you should vote for someone who you believe is going to reflect the values that you value. And as a Christian, there should be no question about what values you value. And I'm gonna vote and I'm gonna let you know something. As well, as much as I want to tell you who I'm voting for, I'm not gonna tell you until next Tuesday. Uh, I am voting without any hesitation. So there's these Christians that I've here, I've talked to some, uh, from my church and outside of the church that they're just hesitant to vote for either. Nonsense. Vote for one of them. But I want to let you know, I am so confident and so 
utterly secure in my vote. Uh, I'm going to have no problem voting for who I'm voting for. You should vote. And when it comes to vax mandates, I'm not a big fan. I think vax mandates are an overreach of government uh, into your life, and you need to avoid that kind of stuff. Anyway, thanks for the question. I hope I helped out. I'm never uncomfortable sharing my opinion. Let's go to the next segment, uh, Deep End News. This is going to apply to our talk in Life of David. Deep End News. The news you'd choose if you could choose news. Okay. So some news came in this past week, and this is interesting. Uh, There's a lot of hatred for Christianity. I've been mentioning this in our church up in North Attleboro lately. A lot of hatred for Christianity in our world. And I, I saw this at CB, uh, cbnnews.com. Satanic protester dumped blood all over Christian preacher at Washington prayer event. Okay, that, that headline just disturbs me. So there's this guy. His name is um, Sean Fucht. I guess that's how you say his name. It's a weirdly spelled name. Sean Fucht. He's traveling all over American cities, and he's bringing these revival campaigns to places where there's a lot of division. So he went to Minnesota uh, at the very site of, uh, I think, the George Floyd death. I think so. Uh, he went to LA. He went to the beaches of LA where there was riots. And he also did a revival campaign. And then he went to Seattle where they shut down that little section of Seattle, the chop zone. I don't know if you remember that. He went there and he did a revival. And then he, now he is in Washington DC leading a revival and he's been getting hate. I mean, he's been getting hate and God bless this man going from these places, these, these places of great division in our society. Uh, and he's bringing the gospel and he's preaching and they're worshiping and they're great atmospheres. I'm looking at them online. They look fantastic. People are getting baptized, saved, miracles, healings. Wonderful. I support that. Wonderful. Fantastic. Right. We do not ever want to fight our fellow brothers and sisters over small little doctrinal differences when they're doing what we're trying to do. Reach people for Christ, baptize them, see them healed in Jesus name. Anyway, A huge worship event, this article reads, was held at the National Mall in Washington, D.C. on Sunday, and a Satanist reportedly attacked one of the organizers. Now, this is common for Sean Foyt and his revival meetings. He's been been surrounded by Satanists as he's worshipped God, and they've been saying, Hail Satan, in L.A. They did this in Seattle. Now they're doing it in Washington, D.C. And what I'm trying to tell you is, this is going to increase as we see this tension, this divisive tension rising in our culture. We're going to see more and more of this. And so anyway, uh, after this, uh, this outreach, after this uh, revival worship moment was held in the Washington, D.C. Uh, mall, uh, the, a protester uh, d- dumped blood off all over the guy in the picture there, Dr. Charles Karuku of International Outreach Church. And he, he, it, it, I, I love re- the response from the pastor. He said, devil mad, witches are rattled, their power is broken. I'm going to keep the bloodstained clothes as a badge of honor for Jesus, pleading the blood of Jesus. This movement is unstoppable. I love it. And you know what? As we see in our present day, Christian, an increased division and divisiveness in our culture, it's going to require us to be ever more vigilant to stand for Christ, regardless of what people think about us. It's going to be so important that we get stronger, not weaker, in our stance for Christ. Friend, don't miss this. We're going to have to get stronger, not weaker. And I think that there's been a great weakening of many Christians because of 2020 and all of its events. There's been a great weakening of their fortitude. I mean, some Christians haven't even been able to make their way back to church yet because of what happened months ago with the lockdowns. You know, there's there's an old saying, trials don't 
test character, trials reveal character. And I'm seeing a lot of lacking character in some Christians who can't make their way to church. Now I get it. If you're in a, if you're in a, a older age group, or if you're in a preconditioned, you know, situation and you're one of those, you know, high risk candidates, got it. But I see young people and they don't have any problem going to the gym or to the store or to uh, the restaurant, but they don't go back to church. And, you know, you're taking care of your body, you're taking care of your food, your stomach, but you're not taking care of your soul. Friends, what do you think 2020 has been? It's been a birth pain. It's been a birth pain. And they're going to increase and they're going to get worse. Okay, so you've got to get stronger and expect animosity coming at you. I'm getting into our teaching. It's going to be a good teaching today. We're going to get into this. Let's get into the life of David. All right, Christians, we've got to be stronger, not weaker in our day and age. And I want to do a talk. And here's the title of the talk. The irrational relationship of the church to the world. The irrational relationship of the church to the world. Oh, by the way, by the way, don't forget to support the deep end, please. I didn't, I don't want to forget this. The deep end.tv slash support. Okay. Uh, make sure you support us or the cash tag, the deep end, the deep end TV is right back here. All right. Support the deep end. Okay. Anyway, back to our conversation. Uh, let, you keep, let you keep voting there for the pumpkins. The irrational relationship of the church to the world and the world to the church. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 19, and we're going to talk about our first correlating psalm, Psalm 59. Friend, if you were a Christian, do not anticipate, do not anticipate smooth sailing through this world and its community. The theme verse comes right from the very first verse of 1 Samuel 19. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, to all his servants, and to all servants, that they should kill David. So chapter 18, Saul starts to get jealous of David, and they uh, he throws some spears at him, and then he kind of sed seductively or uh, covertly uh, tries to put David in a position where he's going to get killed. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 19... Saul drops the pretense of being even close to David's friend. Nope. In 1 Samuel chapter 19, Saul is going to come absolutely clean with his desire to kill David, outright desire to kill David. So I want to talk to you about thriving in a world at odds with your faith because you're going to be at odds with this world. You're going to be at odds with this world, Christian. The last verse of 1 Samuel 18, verse 30, says the, commander, the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. Now, again, up to now, Saul has been using everyone to try to covertly kill David or get David killed. He's been using his daughters, he's been using his servants, and he's been using the Philistines, and so far David has survived. Well, Saul drops, drops the pretense. He stops hiding his intentions, and he's going to come out with this plan to kill David. So take a look at this, verse 1 to 3 of 1 Samuel 19. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David, and, Dave, and Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning, stay in a secret place and hide yourself, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I'll speak to my father about you, and if I learn anything, I will tell you. Now, I want to bring to your remembrance the fact that <clears throat> the story of Saul and David is our story. Saul represents the kingdoms of this world. And David represents those who are in Christ, you, Christian, if you are a Christian. 
And what we're going to have here is we're going to have a picture. We're going to have a picture of the relationship that Christians will always struggle with as they seek to follow God in a world that hates God. Saul being the picture of the world, David being a picture of the church. And that's what we have here in this chapter. Now, now, at some point, friend, the enemy comes clean with his intentions over your life. He comes clean. He wants you dead. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus calls him the murderer from the beginning. And he lies. And he never speaks the truth. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came to give them life. This is the intention of our enemy. He wants to kill us. And he, want, and, and, and he rules this world. Okay, He rules this world. I remind you of what Saul said in the last chapter as he covertly sought to kill David. It says in 1 Samuel 18, verse 22, Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. That was a lie. Saul was out to kill David. He was just lying. Why am I bringing this up? Because, Christian, Saul represents the kingdom of this world. And this is so important. Christian, the world is full of lies. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. The world's going to try to lure you into a relationship with itself through false pretenses, uh, through a pretense of friendliness or kindness. This is why James warns us in James 4.4, 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enemy towards God and enmity towards God? If anyone wants to be a friend of the world, he makes himself an enemy of God. And I find I have to say things like this today because of the increasing worldliness that is coming into the church. See, the problem is not that the church, the church isn't going into the world. The problem is that the world's going into the church. The world's getting into the church today like never before. We've got to watch out for this because the world's not our friend. And, 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 I, and I see Christians Christians embracing worldly mantras and worldly ways like never before. And, and Jesus talked about this. There, there's going to be a great uh, weakening of faith. The love of many will grow cold, he says in Matthew chapter 24. And you've got to be on your guard. You've got to grow stronger in Christ as you see the day approaching, not weaker. Okay? And we are not to be friends with the pattern of this world, the age in which we live. John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus said this. If, the wor- if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world, what? The world hates you. Christian, don't miss this. The world hates you. This is from the words of your, this is from the mouth of your Savior. The world is not out to love you. It, it will seem like a great place. It'll seem like you can make your way in the world. You can have, you can have uh, relationships with Christians who, I mean, non-Christians, and worldly people who don't have regard for the things that you believe and hold dear, I guarantee you at some point, the rubber's going to hit the road and you're going to have to make a clean break from people who are worldly and do what Christ wants you to do. And, and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. You're going to understand this is what Saul is giving us. This picture of Saul and David is giving us here in 1 Samuel 19. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is because the world did not know him. We are, from a spiritual standpoint, strange to this world. And if you're a new Christian, expect strangeness to increase. See, Jonathan represents a, a new Christian. He's got this new relationship with David, and then he, he, he's, he's torn between David and his father. And you're going to see this back and forth where, where Jonathan wants to please his father, Saul, but he's got this covenantal love with David, and he's torn between the two. <clears throat> and so it's time and time again. 
Jonathan's going back and forth and, and is straining his relationship with his father because he loves David covenantally. Christian, you are covenanted with, with Christ and it's going to put a strain on your former relationships, those relationships that formerly brought you value, whether it be a spouse or child or a parent or, or, or a friend or a coworker. And the strain is going to increase more and more as we get more and more divisive in our world today. Now, the question is this, and this is an important question. Why does the, church, why does the world hate the church? Well, the answer is, why does Saul hate David? Why does Saul hate David? Here's why. Because David represents for Saul what Saul rejected, the leadership and the authority of God. See, David is God's chosen king, just like Jesus is God's chosen king. Please listen to this. Jesus is a political figure. I... I, I, I I don't understand Christians saying, Jesus wasn't political. Yes, he was. You don't get crucified in the first century if you don't make political statements. Now, the, now the thing about Jesus is he didn't play one side against the other. He ticked off both sides. Now, the Pharisees on the right and the Sadducees on the left. Just like today, there's right-wing Christians and left-wing Christians. Jesus and, and true gospel preaching ticks off both wings. <laughs> okay? But you see, Jesus is king. He's God's chosen king. And he's going to challenge something that is near and dear to the heart of every human being on the face of the earth. And here's what that is. The, the, the idol of self-rule, self-governance, self-love. Jesus challenges our kingdom, our own personal kingdom. I don't know if you've heard of this, but there's such a thing as the kingdom of Tim. Okay, I, I'm Tim. Okay, there's the kingdom of Tim. And the kingdom of Tim does not like the kingdom of Jesus because the kingdom of Jesus challenges the the ideals and the values and the wants and the desires of the kingdom of Tim. And, and discipleship as a Christ follower is surrendering my kingdom and my self-rule to Christ's rule. And that means everything has to come to the table and be placed before Jesus. And we say, Lord, you are Lord. Jesus is, is Lord. Another political term from the Bible, kurios in the Greek. He's Lord. He is a political leader who, who takes us out of the kingdoms of this world and challenges our self-rule and our self-governance. And today we live in a country. We live in a culture. Oh, and hi, Canada. I know I got some Canadians and I say Americans a lot. I'm also talking to you Canadians. Uh, but we live in a culture today in the West where it's all about my wants and my dreams and my desires. And Jesus is a challenge to that. He, he says, hate your own life. Surrender it. Lay down your life. Take up your cross. Follow me. This is what discipleship is. Discipleship is not feeling better. Discipleship is releasing more of your life to Jesus Christ. John says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 1 John 3, 13. Saul hates David because David represents the end of Saul's self-rule. David represents the challenge to the assumption in Saul's life that he was in charge. He's not. And by the way, neither are you. You're not in charge. God is. God is. Okay, so let's get into the next text. Verse four. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. Okay, see, you see da Jonathan? He's like a baby Christian. He is so desperately trying to, uh, co uh, you know, stay connected to his father, Saul. And so he goes to Saul and he says, let not the king sing against, sin against his servant, David, because he has not sinned against you. And because his deeds have brought good to you. 
for he took his life in his hand and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. And then look at what he says. You saw it and you rejoiced. And that's true. Saul was happy that Goliath was dead. You saw that. You rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? Now this is a hint at the cross. David is our, uh, pointing. David is pointing to the cross. Jesus goes to the cross, friends. This is so important. Catch this. Without cause. That's why these stories are not just moral stories that we apply to our lives. These stories are pointing to the ultimate story, the story of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's go on. And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore as the Lord lives. This is verse 6. He shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and David reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. Okay, so now you have this picture. And it's a very important picture for us as Christians. You have this picture where David is, you know, hated by Saul and then kind of loved and embraced by Saul. And there's this on again, off again relationship between David and Saul. And it represents the Christian's relationship to the world. The world will lie to us. The world will deceive us. The world will allure us. And we'll have this pull between kingdom of Saul, kingdom of David, and we'll, 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 we'll tend to. And I wonder, where are you trending to in your life? Are you trending to the idea that, 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 that this world is your friend? And so you're starting to mingle with things that you shouldn't be mingling with or people that you shouldn't be uh, mingling with. Or are you trending back to the fact that, no, I am not of this world. I am of the kingdom of heaven, right? And, and so this is what we have, this picture back and forth, back and forth. But, but understand, at the end of the day, when it comes to David and Saul, Saul's lying. So look at this, verse 8. And there was war again, and David went out and fought the Philistines and struck him with a great blow. So David's doing what David does. He always wins. And so they fled before him. Verse 9, then a harmful spirit from the Lord. Again, there's that phrase, a harmful spirit, and don't miss it. The, the writer doesn't want us to miss it from the Lord. Some of you, again, you might have a problem with that. I'm going to explain it again. A harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with the spear in his hand, and David was playing the lyre, and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Okay, just, just, just curiously, does anybody find it troubling that as Saul is sitting in his house, <laughs> he's got a spear in his hand. Th this is a picture of the world. It looks tame. It looks relaxed. It looks harmless. It's got a spear in its hand. The spirit of the age is always waiting for an unsuspecting Christian to spear in the heart. Please understand that. The spirit of the age is always waiting for the opportunity it will allure you, it will tempt you, it will draw you in, and it's got the spear in the hand waiting to destroy you. I've seen so many Christians get caught up in the things of this world and speared without even seeing it coming. Speared by an old flame who suddenly calls you after you give your life to Jesus Christ. Speared by um, the, 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 the deceitfulness of riches, Jesus talks about in Matthew 13. The deceitfulness of riches, Right? Speared by the desire to have more or be more. And, and here's one for younger Christians because I see it happening to you on a regular basis. Speared by the social justice movement. Like, like the desire to be woke. We need to be woke. And I, I, I said this at uh, our church on Sunday last week. And I want to say it again. You, you can be 100% socially just in this world and still be spiritually lost for the world to come. Because you're not getting to heaven 
because of your views on social justice or your activity on social justice. And I have found that the whole woke culture thing is just virtue signaling. We get on our little tweets, we get on our little soapbox on Facebook and Instagram, and we, we signal to the world, but I don't see many people actually doing anything. And, and remember, Jesus said that when we do good for others, we shouldn't do it to be seen by others. And so I see a lot of virtue signaling or, or soapbox social media preaching saying, I'm woke, I'm woke, I'm woke. But you can be spiritually woke in this life and spiritually lost for the life to come. Anyway, I'm off topic. Let me get back. Let me pull the reins back and get back to uh, what it says here about the spirit of the Lord that came upon Saul. He has been handed over to the harmful spirit of the Lord. Let me teach you about the wrath of God here for a second because it's important. The wrath of God, we think, is a future event, and it is, but it's also a present reality. It is a present reality. Romans chapter 1, verse 24 says, God gave them up to the lust of their flesh, to the lust of their hearts. In verse 26, it says, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then it talks about women loving women and men loving men, contrary to nature. And in verse 28 of Romans 1, it says, God gave them up to a debased mind. Three times in Romans chapter 1, it says, God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up. Let me explain something here from this passage too, because it applies to Saul and applies to our world. We are not waiting for some end time wrath of God only. We are experiencing the wrath of God now whenever people turn away from God and chase their own passions and desires. When we say we're going to reject God's way and do what we want, God gives us up. He hands us over to what we want, and then we experience the, I call it the passive wrath of God that hurts our lives and destroys our spirits and corrupts our minds. See, see, it, it corrupts our spirits, our lusts. We are handed over to our lusts. And one of the worst things that you can experience is God just giving you what you want. Like we think the wrath of God is God waiting with a lightning bolt from heaven. And bam, I'm going to smack you down. No, no. Sometimes the wrath of God is just God gives you exactly what you want when you don't want him. And then you get the, the due judgment of those sins. And then he says dishonorable passions in Romans chapter 1, 26. And then he says a debased mind. So it corrupts your spirit, corrupts your soul, it corrupts your mind. And God gives you, and, and this is where Saul is. A harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul because Saul rejected God. Saul rejected God. And now David, I want you to see this. Let's go back to David because this is us now. Uh, David was playing the liar and Saul throws the spear and he eluded him. And if you remember last time, David... Uh, stayed in Saul's presence, but this time, look at what it says. David fled. David's like, I am out of here. Now this is turning the page on another, a new chapter in David's life. It's called the chapter of David's exile. David is going to be exiled from Saul from this day forward. And it, and it brings me to a very important point for us. If you're a Christian, you are exiled in this world. Please listen to that line again. If you are a Christian, you are exiled in this world. You are going to be, you're going to feel spiritually uh, exiled, not home, not on uh, friendly territory, enemy territory. He says, awful. I know I'm going through this. I hate this pastor. I just wish I had more Christians around me. I wish I had more church family around me. I go to work. I struggle. This guy, he gets after me about my faith all the time. And I hear you. 
Oh man, I hear you recently because I, I just had a long conversation with a non-believer and it did not go well. And I wish, I wish I could take a lot of things that I said back and a lot of things he said back. It wasn't gnarly and nasty, but it just wasn't a very good conversation because he was just kind of like jabbing at my faith and I wasn't responding as well as I could have. But nonetheless, we're going to go through those times where we just feel like we're spiritually homeless. It's because we're in exile. But here's the good news. And here's what David's life's going to point us to. This is David's next chapter, his exile from the palace. Up to this point, he's been in the palace in a prominent position. Now he's going into the wilderness to be hunted and to hide for 10 years. 10 years. And we're going to get into that chapter next week, but uh, two weeks from now. But here's the thing. It's a great place to be when you're in exile from the palace the positions of power in this world. And I want to put this on the screen because it's the point that I'm, I'm getting to. Here it is. God's preparation does not happen in the palaces of men, but in the wilderness of exile. And this is a repeated theme in the Bible with God's best servants. They are oftentimes taken out of these prime positions, these positions of power and authority. They're taken out of and they're put into a season of exile so that God can prepare them for his anointing and his calling on their life. This is a beautiful thing to happen to you. And it's happening to you as a spiritual wanderer through this present age. I give you a couple of examples. Joseph was exiled from his father's house, right? He went into a, a slave position. He went into a prison and for 13 years, he's in exile, but he's always being prepared for what? A position of power and anointing to save the world from hunger. Moses was exiled from the palace of Pharaoh. He was raised in Pharaoh's house. Then he's exiled from Pharaoh's house into the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because God was preparing Moses for 40 years of leading the Israelites through that same wilderness. He's taken out of the palace and put into exile. Daniel. I mean, these are big time names in the Bible, right? Daniel is exiled into Babylon and he's exiled actually in the palace of Babylon, but he doesn't eat the food and doesn't do the pagan rituals and he stands for his faith and God prepares him and uses him to bring the people back from exile uh, at the end of the 70 year exile uh, during the time of the Babylonian captivity. And then most importantly, Jesus was exiled. You don't, you don't think about this, but he was. For 40 days and 40 nights, he was exiled into the wilderness where what? He was tempted by the devil. And the Bible says he was led there by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into exile so that, listen to this, Jesus could be prepared. Jesus could be prepared for his calling and his purposes in God. This is, this is what Christians should embrace and expect. You... Dear Christian, you are spiritually exiled in this world right now. You are not home. And that's okay. God is preparing you. He's preparing you for what he has prepared for you. And this is what happens in David's life as a symbol of what it means to be in the body of Christ. That we will be rejected by this world. But in our rejection, we are prepared to make an impact in this world. Okay. Point made, let's continue, verse 11. And Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window and she fled, and he fled away and escaped. Michal took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. Now this is, this is interesting. Michal is, is David's uh, wife, but it's also Saul's daughter. Remember that? 
And we're seeing a little bit about uh, Mikhail's character here. First off, uh, she takes an image, and the word image is the word for an idol. It's teraphim in the Hebrew, and it means uh, idol. It's she, she's an idol worshiper. I mean, why would she have an image? And, and by the way, an, an idol the size of a human body. Because she's setting it up. We've all seen those those movies where the kid goes out at night and so he puts the pillows in his in his bed to make it look like he's still in his bed. Okay, uh, she's got an image the size of David's body, and she's able to put this in the bed to make it look like David. Um, and it's an interesting thing because Mikhail is also David's wife, and she's close to him, and uh, this is revealing for us Mikhail's uh, character, if you will. But nonetheless, David is in exile, and he's surrounded. Now, before he actually goes into exile, he's surrounded by Saul's men. And it brings me to our very first psalm that refers to David's life. He actually writes a song at this moment. Think about it. He's got Saul's army and Saul's soldiers coming around his house to kill him. And Mikhail is setting things up so that he can be let down through the window to escape them. And he writes Psalm 59. In Psalm 59, he says this, and I want to read the psalm because it's so beautiful. He says, Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait in my li- for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord. For no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, our God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with the swords in their lips, for who, they think, will hear us. And then verse 80 says this, But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I watch for you. O God, you are my fortress. My God, in his steadfast love, will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. And then he says, Kill them not, Lord, lest my people forget make them totter by your power and bring them down O lord our shield for the sin of their mouths the words of their lips let them be trapped in their pride for the cursing and lies they utter consume them in wrath consume them till they are no more that they may know that god rules over jacob to the ends of the earth selah each evening they come back howling like dogs prowling about the city they wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill but i will sing of your strength I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been a, to me a fortress and a refuge in my day of distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Now, I read that whole psalm, Psalm 59, for this very reason. We have to learn how to pray and worship through the difficulties in the relationships we have with this world. Hear that again. We have to learn how to pray and worship through these trials. So many Christians give up in trials. So many Christians just throw in the towel. So many Christians stop worshiping in trials, aka those who don't come back to church because of COVID lockdowns, but go everywhere else. You have to learn how to worship through this or you're not going to get stronger. And David does a wonderful thing in this, in this psalm. He prays boldly to God. He says, God, wake up. He actually says, God, wake up and, and see my trouble. And then secondly, he's confident. He says twice in two different sections of the psalm, he says, Lord, you're going to rescue me. I watch for you. You are my strength. You are my fortress. And I will sing about that. And then thirdly, we notice that he has this back and forth relationship with evil men. He, he experiences their evil. He turns to the Lord. 
he gets peace. He gets more evil. He turns back to the Lord. And this is why worship on Sunday, worship on the weekend at your church, wherever it is, is so important because all week you are in the world. You've got to have that moment where you come back and receive from God, where you come back and receive the, 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 the good fellowship that is yours in Christ Jesus. Amen. Anyway, let's get back to the text. Verse 14. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, uh, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent messengers to see David, saying, Bring him to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed and the pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Okay, this is, this is revealing Michal's character, is, not, is it not? She's David's wife, but at the same time, she's an idol worshiper, number one. She's an idol worshiper because she has this big stinking idol that's as big as David's body. And... When the rubber hits the road, she abandons David and she saves herself. She's like, hey, he said to me, let me go. Let's go. He wanted to kill me, dad. We need to. <laughs> she basically lies to save her, save her own behind. You know what Mikhail is? Mikhail is a picture of worldly Christians. Mikhail is a picture of worldly Christians who at times show great affection for the Lord. And then when the going to gets tough, they bail. Acquiescing to the pattern of this world. That's exactly who she is. She, 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 she loves David at night, but she's, she's Saul's daughter in the day or, or, or vice versa. She loves David in the day, but she loves Saul at night. You got to watch out for these kinds of people because these people are what James calls double-minded Christians. They are not fully committed to the Lord. They are easily seduced by this world. This world is not your friend. It lies to you. It seduces you. It lures you. And when you see Christians and friends who you thought were Christians falling into the stuff, avoid them, Paul says. Walk away. Worldly Christians are even more dangerous than non-Christians. I'm telling you right now. So the question is, when we're in David's situation, the question is, how do we stand strong when we are surrounded with irrational animosity from the world? How do we stand strong when we are surrounded with irrational animosity from the world. Well, let's take a look at what happens with David and then we're done. Verse 18. Now David fled and escaped and he came to Samuel at Ramah. Now he's back with Samuel. Remember Samuel is the guy who anointed him and, and, and appointed him to be God's king. And he told him all that Saul had done to him. And he, and he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth and it was told Saul, behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Now this is incredible. This is incredible because David here goes to be with Samuel. And Samuel is in a place called Naoth. Naoth is, and David, this is, and, and Samuel, I want you to see these three things. Samuel, David, and Naoth. This is a picture. What is the picture of? Well, Naoth, the word Naoth means uh, habitations. And usually the word uh, habitations in the Bible always refers to the place where God dwells. Samuel represents God's prophet or God's word. And David represents who? Represents Christ. So you have three things here. You have the presence of God. You have uh, uh, the presence of Jesus, David, picture of Jesus. And you have the presence of, of the word of God being preached through Samuel the prophet. And what David does... When he is surrounded by his enemies, he gets himself into the presence of God and under the word of God. If you are going to last long term as a Christian, if you are going to avoid the alluring temptations of this world, if you are going to handle the animosity, the irrational animosity that the world will have toward you, Christian, you are going to survive to the extent that you value and cherish time with God in the presence of Jesus and with his people. We have to get ourselves into the presence of God 
the church where the word of God is preached and we are strengthened. As as David said in Psalm 69, I, I will sing, I will sing of your strength, right? I will sing of your steadfast love. You have been a fortress to me. This is verse 16 of Psalm 59. You are my strength. I sing praises to you. He, he got into the presence of God and he got stronger. The Bible says in Psalm 84, blessed are they who, who dwell in your house. They go from strength to strength. We get stronger in our faith as we stay in the presence of God in the church. Okay, now let's get back into the verse, the passage. Verse 20, then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, now they come to Naoth, the Saul, uh, Saul's messengers. And they saw Samuel standing as head over them. The Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. I want you to see this. This is so cool. The Spirit of God stops the attack on David as he resides in the presence of God under the Word of God. See the picture? David's in Naoth with Samuel, the Word of God, the presence of God. And the, his enemies come in, and they are turned into prophets. <laughs> This is why the church is so important. This is why our gathering on the weekend is so important because the weekend gathering is where we hear the word of God and the word of God has the capacity to turn enemies into friends. It has the capacity to turn those who hate our faith into members of our faith. But the passage is not done. Let's take a look at it a little bit further. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers. This is verse 21. And they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again a third time and they also prophesied. Everybody Saul sends to go get David starts turning into prophets. And joining David. Then verse 22. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great wall that is in Seku. And he asked, where is Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they're at Naoth and Ramah. So watch this. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah. And the spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? This is crazy, is it not? This is why you need me to help you through this passage, because this is crazy. This is nuts. Saul goes running with vicious animosity and hatred after David. He comes into the presence where David is, into the presence of God. Now remember the picture that I said, Samuel, the word of God being preached, David, the, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Naoth, the, the, the abiding presence of God where we come together in the house of God with his prophets, with his people. Saul comes against David in that place and immediately the spirit of the Lord stops Saul from attacking David and lays him out and lays him naked, exposes him. And he prophesied he can't attack David as David dwells in the presence of God. Later, there's a psalm that says, He who dwells in the shadow of the Almighty shall abide uh, in the secret place of the Almighty, shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. There is a protective care for God's people in the presence of God's people and the presence of Jesus Christ in the house of God, in the church. In the church. By the way, there's also a warning here in this passage. I don't know if you saw it, but I'll say it. Saul prophesies. Saul prophesies. You see it? And it's a little bit of a spiritual warning for us. It's a warning that reminds us that our spiritual experiences are not the sign of our salvation. Our spiritual experiences are not the sign of our salvation. And I don't want to bear in here as we close because we think that because we feel a certain way in church that we're saved. Well, 
It's not about whether you feel a certain way. It's about whether you have faith a certain way. And please listen, Christian. You can't judge your Christian experience by what you feel. There's a lot of people who have had these ecstatic experiences with God, but they aren't saved. And I I don't say this to give you doubts about your salvation. I say this to make sure that you understand that you aren't called to seek the experience or the feeling of faith. You're called to just believe in faith, place your faith in Christ. And sometimes feelings won't be there. Sometimes the little warm thing in your heart won't be there. Saul had the experience but not the reality of salvation. So what am I asking you to do? I'm asking you to check yourself against the truth. I'm asking you to check yourself against whether or not you hunger and desire, like David did, the presence of God. At the end of the day, this is what we need. We need the truth of God's word, and we need the presence of God and his people, as David found in Naoth. So, just to give you some cultural relevance to what I'm talking about today. Here on The Deep End, we explain the Bible. We go verse by verse. We try to teach you this because it gives you life. It gives you strength. And ironically, a guy by the name of Kanye West was on the Joe Rogan podcast this past week. And he was talking to Joe Rogan about many things, but he was talking about his his own uh, church and where he goes. And, and it was just incredible what he said because he's talking about describing his preacher's tendency on how he preaches and teaches the word. Check out what he says. The way he preaches is, is called expository. It's like one-to-one by the word. I, I like all different kind of preachers, but there's some type of preachers, they, they get up, they have the Bible in their hand, then they close the Bible, and then they just talk for uh, two hours. And, it's, and, and, and some do have anointing, but the expository preachers go line for line. And for me, it's like I come from entertainment. I got so much sauce. I don't need no sauce on the word. I need the word to be solid food that I can understand exactly what God was saying to me through the King James Version, through this, you know, um, through this translation or the English Standard Version. So, Isn't that cool? We need the truth. We need the presence of God. Here you have a world-renowned musical artist and a, a guy that is so creative and so talented. I mean, you want to talk about sauce. He can, he can whip up any sauce imaginable. And yet here he is saying... At the end of the day, I, Kanye West, this creative genius, I need God's truth. So do you. It's what's going to keep you strong in, in the midst of the irrational animosity of the world. The world does not love you. Don't expect it to. You are a stranger. You are passing through. Get yourself into a church that teaches you the word. Keep coming back to the deep end. Do this regularly. Even when you don't feel like it, it will nourish you. It will strengthen you. It will empower you to stand strong in the midst of the world's attacks, in the midst of your journey of faith. So in conclusion, yes, the world hates you. No, it cannot defeat you. Come into his presence. Receive his word and be stronger as a result be stronger as a result amen hey that's our that's our episode today it's been a bit of a long one but a lot of segments did you vote over here for the for the favorite pumpkin hope you did i'm so excited to bring this content to you i ask once again please do me three things 
hit the like button, oh, like button, uh, subscribe right over here, and hit the little notification bell that's going to come up right here. It's right below this video. Let me know that you watch. Let me know that you're a part of the deep end every single week. I'm glad that you were here. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media, the deep end TV most of the time, except for Twitter, deep end TV. Uh, we'll see you next week for our uh, very exciting election night special. Thanks for joining us. I will see you next time here on the deep end. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End with Tim Hatch.